0: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. There are three lazy words that people use that prevent them from thinking as sharp as they could be. And when you think sharp, that means you're gonna solve problems, it means you're gonna start businesses, win games or competitions. Brian Keating, one of the smartest people I know, but also the loser of the Nobel Prize, (laughs) joins me to talk about these three lazy words. Professor Brian Keating from UCSD, famous Nobel Prize loser. Brian, do you mind that I keep introducing you like that?
2: No, as long as you add the prefix uh, "handsome" and "lovable" as well as uh, "with a great aroma" in front of "loser."
1: At least one out of those three things are true, so I am perfectly happy to say that. Um, and Brian, I wanted to—I was thinking of you earlier because I was thinking of lazy words. I know you have your book coming out. Think like a Nobel Prize winner. And it strikes me that people who think with intense focus and solve problems and and are creative, there's something not lazy about their thinking. Just as a little bit of an intro, I was thinking of three words that are lazy. Just try and hope. So for instance, I was just trying this one idea. It seems like a lazy way of doing an idea like if you were, I, I don't know a better way to explain it. In chess, it's easy to say like, oh, I was just developing my pieces is a lazy way of not having to think about what piece to move the best or, oh, I was just volleying on the tennis court is a lazy way of trying to think fig- of, of not just putting away the opponent. Uh, oh, I was just trying these random you know, theorems out to see if they would work is maybe a lazy way of not really trying to prove a quantum mechanics proof. I don't know. I'm making that up. And so just as one example, try is another example like, Oh, I'm going to try this as opposed to really thinking out how you want to solve a problem. You're randomly trying things without thinking about them. And of course in investing, we know hope is not a strategy. Like hope is a way is, is a best shot at thinking of a solution and you're just hoping for the best. You you didn't find a solution. You got as close as you could, and you hope that the word hope bridges between reality and the solution.
2: And I think uh, it's like exactly you know in line with my thinking. These are sloppy words. These are words that are kind of like the equivalent of ums and. Uh, as in writing that, and, and speaking, rather, that you would never tolerate if you were writing a book and put in, um, <laughs> you know, can you imagine you're writing a book and you type right. in, um, in uh, and, and some nonfiction book? Yeah, of course not. So I was always taught, actually, by my 10th grade English teacher, uh, Mrs. Tompkins, who listens to this show, listens to your show and my show, and uh, she said, oh, never oh, use the word just. Just means justice or, you know, fair, and never use the word just. To imply, you know, I was just about to do something, it's, it's actually grammatically uh, incorrect as a, you know, it's just a form of lexicon. And I was thinking that the word hope, I think Emily Dickinson said, hope is the thing with feathers, uh, which I never really understood. I mean, there are a lot of things with feathers, right? And uh, and Woody Allen wrote a book without feathers. That's actually pretty funny. Uh, I guess that means he has no hope. So we have to think of something that, you know, that, you know.
1: Wait, well, well I don't understand. What's the, what's the connection between feathers and hope? I
2: have no idea. But there's a book, or a statement that she said, hope is the thing with feathers. And then Woody Allen, one of his books is without feathers, implying he has no hope. Uh so what you and I should try to do, try not do as yoga says, as Yoda says rather. Uh Yoda, by the way, do you know uh the etymology of the word Yoda in Star Wars, where it comes from? You know, I feel like at one point I did, but I don't know it right now. So in Hebrew, the word Yodea means I know. Uh Ah. So he got it from Hebrew, and it's someone who is like an all-knowing oracle. And what does he say? He goes, Do or not do, there is no try. And so that's two of your words. We have connections to the pop lexicon. And then just, I have a connection through my 10th grade English teacher. So I really couldn't agree with you more. And I feel like these are kind of like verbal crutches. Kind of the way I feel like comedy like, when you do comedy, I've seen your stand-up many times. Uh, I even saw you in person when you gave your TEDx talk here in San Diego seven years ago. I can't believe it. Uh, but the uh, but when you were doing it, you don't use profanity that much. It's not gratuitous. But those three words, just try and hope, are basically gratuitous throwaway garbage words.
1: Right, and thinking about comedy, like in comedy, you have to take that extra step to be funny or else you're just like everyone else. If you say to yourself, I'm just going to resort to fart jokes and... Profanity. And profanity. And I'll tell some jokes about Tinder. Again, you're not pushing yourself that extra edge. And and the reason why this is all important is you have to notice when you're using the word just or try or hope. So if you say to yourself, oh, like what's an example in, in physics, Brian? Like if you're doing an experiment, oh, I'm just going to um, sharpen up the lens on this microscope. Somehow or other, you're not solving a problem that's really happening in the microscope. Yeah, because just and trying
2: implies random, random scattershot thinking. It implies that you don't have a systematized approach to things. So, I, you know, you you often think of me as, you know, sitting at a telescope all day and, you know, scratching my white beard and pondering the mysteries of the universe. But you know from past conversations that most of my job is not like that. It's it's planning on what concrete has to get delivered when. What safety uh, precautions do we need to take? At 17,000 feet above sea level in the Atacama Desert of northern Chile, where the Simons Foundation is generously providing me and my 300 collaborators over $100 million to build a the world's best microwave telescope to observe the beginning of the universe, if it had a beginning. And what's the
1: danger of the word just there?
2: Well, it's more uh, hope. Hope was the word I was locking in on. But, you know, if we just hope that uh, there is no global pandemic after we're done with COVID, we're just hoping that that's not going to happen. Uh, and we don't plan on the likelihood that it could happen and the fin- multiply it by the financial impact of it actually happening in what's called a risk matrix, we're basically fools and losers, and, and even more so than normal in my case, because we already are on warning. So there are these things called risk registers that all major projects use. It's kind of the probability of a catastrophic event or even a non-catastrophic event times the financial impact of rectifying it now and comparing that to rectifying it later, like the famous things were, you know, car manufacturers or, or McDonald's, didn't put uh, you know safety safe enough lids on their coffee, and they figured, oh, some people get burned, but uh, but it'll cost us less to uh, to pay out lawsuits than if we just uh, hope that we uh, make it okay with the current cup rather than redesigning it. So that failed miserably.
1: Or or if someone could have said, let's just use the cheapest solution that seems safe, as opposed to really putting the numbers down and figuring out what was safe or what's the financial impact. If if we don't do this right, and and again, oh, let's try this one lid as opposed to this other lid, uh, without really testing it out. trying right is it's 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 a failure to take to take a thought, an idea, a plan to the final step. Even if it costs you more time, even if it costs you more money, in the long run, that's how Nobel Prize winners are made. That's how champions are made. That's how you know physicists and and PhDs and and. Entrepreneurs are I made. Mean, if 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 you know uh, Elon Musk had said, "Hey, let's just use solar panels to to create energy." That's not good enough as saying, "Hey, solar panels are growing exponentially, so this is a solution that even if it doesn't work now, it'll work in the end because here's how the math works."
2: Exactly, and I've I've been I've been thinking about that. There's a famous uh, line by Galileo Galilei, who's you know my my biggest hero. And he said, uh, "Let us measure what is measurable, and make measurable what is not." And the word risk, as you know, you you talk to people, uh, the same sorts of people on your podcast. I've talked to people like uh, like um, Allison Schrager on on the Into the Impossible podcast. And the word risk comes from like you know some some Latin word you know, which means like you know belief that you're going to fail. So. I always joke. You made the talk about comment about Elon Musk, but you know they say the the optimist builds the airplane, but the pessimist builds the parachute. And I think you need both. You need the kind of wild eyed optimist to, to think about what's going to happen uh, if everything goes right. And then you need the guy who thinks or gal who thinks about the contingency and the cost. See, the thing is, James, most people just think about their their hope that they're going to succeed. And they think that if they just try hard enough, they'll get to the result that they're planning on. It's like a diet. You know, like I hope I lose weight by my birthday next month. Uh, but, you know, but if I'm not, tr- you know, really trying, it's partially the satisfaction you get from having. A plan, they say, fulfill some of the reward of actually achieving the plan. So if I say, I'm hoping to lose 10 pounds in a month, you know, to drop another 10, I dropped 10 pounds, as I told you during COVID. I, I dropped it from my double chin to my stomach. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it would have been better off another way. Well, I'm on the COVID diet right now, and That's I highly recommend it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I lost about 10 pounds in two weeks. The poor guy. And you didn't have as much of wadupois as they say as I do. But the bottom line is... I'm a, a, a beard, too. Yeah. Right oh, guy. yeah. I can hardly see it there, but it looks good on you. But the, the point... You know, I think as if you fail to plan, you'll plan to fail. I think that's kind of overwrought as well. But the bottom line is, how do you balance? Because you only have a finite amount of time, money, resources. How much do you put into the non-hope or or the planning uh, and the doing rather than just the hoping?
1: Right, because you can't plan for perfection, mm-hmm. right? And that that's a that's a, fa- a path to failure as well. In fact, you mentioned the invention of the airplane. Samuel Langley, who was given a $2 million budget in 1900 by the US government, he assumed that the plane would have no wind. So he wasn't allowing for any, um, you know, uh, turbulence. Whereas the Wright brothers baked in the fact that there would be turbulence. So they were able to say, you know, they were able to, to plan for imperfection and that's how they invented the plane, faster than a guy who had $2 million more million of them. But the diet example is a great example too. Somebody says, "Oh, before my wedding, I'll just I'll just fast for two weeks." Just doesn't work. Just is lazy. It's lazy thinking. Anyone who uses the word "just," it's lazy thinking. You have to have a plan. Exactly. And you know the interesting thing about hope is, uh, if you look at absurdism, the philosophy of absurdism, the idea that life might not have no meaning, so you have to develop your own meaning. You know, one way to find meaning is through hope and faith. And that's a valid way, but even much better, or perhaps better, is acceptance of the good and the bad around you, and develop meaning in your life despite that, as opposed to relying on something artificial or or something like faith or hope. It's interesting in that way. I wanted to ask you about that because
2: I, you know, uh, I've hit a couple of milestones lately on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. You know, I'm over like almost thirty four thousand. So I I finally have more. YouTube subscribers and James Alticher, which has been my lifelong goal since I was 10 years old.
1: I, have to, I still have to figure out what to do with my YouTube channel. I cannot make it work, but go ahead. I will help you, and it's mainly from Noah
2: Kagan and his wonderful producer Mitchell Cohen. Shout out to Mitchell. But you know, I was thinking like, well, what's my strategy? You know, do I want to get to a billion subscribers? You know, no, I, I don't really care about that. I, I have a very keen goal, as Galileo said: "What you measure, you should you should measure well, and what you can't, you should make measurable." So here we've got a very measurable statistic, you know, number of subscribers. So then, what do you optimize beyond? You know, what is your metric? What is your goal? And I'm trying to think about that in terms of like planning forward because. I'm starting to get some of the negative aspects of that. In other words, I'm getting people that are, you know, kind of trolling me, baiting me, you know, trying to get me involved in their little squabbles with people that have been on the show or criticizing me for having on people like Avi Loeb. Like yes, there is a perfect example. Uh, this, this you know, uh, former scientist, and now he's a journalist, uh, named Ethan Siegel. Very bright guy, it was a theoretical cosmologist, writes for Forbes magazine. I read it every day. But he's like calling out Avi Loeb because I, like you, had him on my podcast, except I got breaking news from him. You know, the minute this new Galileo project was, was announced, I, I had him on. And he actually had asked me to join their advisory board of oversight, which is wow. not, not paid. And I said, I've, I, I volunteered to do it because there's so much hype and hysteria and lack of Galileo's invocation. To measure what's measurable, and so now it's just like cell phone cameras. He talked about in your show. You get this grainy, you know, camera. It's not going to help if you have ten million iPhone cameras all looking at the same event. You need better technology, better tools. This guy Ethan uh, was, you know, criticizing Avi as a hype man, as a charlatan, as a, you know, essentially like not not quite accusing him of fraud, but saying it's it's like you know people should beware. And Brian Keating, you should stay away from him. And, and uh, you know, I just thought, you know, because he's only in for his own good, and they have a longstanding beef, and, and I actually have refutations for most of what he said, but I'm like, do I answer this, or do I just hope it goes away? Like, do I get involved with it? And like, this is like a squabble between this guy, Ethan, and Avi, and, uh, and wh- why do I need to get involved in it? Like, the guy tweeted at me, so I'd get involved, but do I have to take that?
1: No. No, I think the way to stay with science is to stay on the science and rise above <music> Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com/pod50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com/pod50 for 50% off.
1: The guy at Forbes also, every move forward is a move backwards too. So he's making a move forward in his query saying, This guy, Avi Loeb, who we both like, is a charlatan. That's also a move backwards. He's exposing himself to getting into some sort of Twitter or social media fight you need to rise above the downsides of what he's doing. The focus of what Avi's really trying to do, no matter what his agenda is, is that the U.S. government has admitted there are some important things that our pilots have seen that we don't know what they are. So what could possibly be wrong with measuring what matters, as Galileo says. Yeah. What could possibly be wrong with that? Right, and especially if it was the government funding
2: it, but it's not. It's some private Harvard, you know, alumni probably. I actually don't know all the details of it, but it's like $1.7 million, enough for three small telescopes, you know, that Avi talked with you about. Um, What's wrong with that? It's private funding by an eminent scientist. The problem was that uh, Ethan, who has a PhD in physics, very bright man, Uh, But he was saying things like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he he used to be a plasma physicist, and he's only made, you know, he's written a lot of papers, but they're very low quality. And I I just felt like, you know, God, this guy's got— Head of the Department of Astronomy at Harvard, so— For longer than anybody, as far as I know. Yeah, <laughs> right. As as far as I, for longer than any and that's a thankless job. That that nobody gets any any gratifi- uh, gratification from being chairman of a department. It's it's like the higher you fly, the more easier you are to shoot down. Now he has criticized him. There was a conflict with Jill Tarter, who's an eminent scientist herself, and started off this field, and she's featured in Contact, the movie is that's basically Ellie Arroway's character. Jill's a hero of mine. And uh, she endorsed my first book. And they had a big blow up and it was caught on, on video. And Avi behaved in a way that is indistinguishable from toxic masculinity. And we talked about that on my podcast. So I'm like, what should I do? Not have him on my podcast? Like, and then I had Lawrence Krauss on, which uh, you know, is another guy who's super controversial. And people are like, How dare you have him on? He had all these accusations, and and you know, he's pals with Jeffrey Epstein. And I'm just like, you know, look what what people i have on people i don't agree with all the time james i don't agree with you half the time we come to blows when we're in person what we, we- <laughs> no i don't even agree with, with myself half the time i mean come on james you know like i don't know what the hell i'm talking about
1: <laughs> the thing is though you are a scientist that's what you do yep. for a living that's what you love since you were a child that's why you're close to winning the nobel prize you have a code of science what is science It's asking questions that could be measured it's coming up a way of measuring them through an experiment or a, th- a theory that you could prove and then doing it and then it's just lazy thinking i think to get into the squabbles to get into the politics to get into the gossip buddha who was a scientist of his day i don't bl- nobody nothing in buddhism is about faith at all by the way buddha says right speech so what is right speech it's not engaging in the squabbles and politics it's saying Are there unidentified flying objects and how do I identify them? That is right speech in in this sense, in in the scientific sense, in the Buddhist sense, in the non-lazy sense. You're not just saying, hey, I'm just gonna uh, defend Avi and then go back to the science, or hey, I'm gonna hope that this blows over. You're just gonna focus on the science and finding the truth. Now, if the truth depends on if Avi's gonna fall apart because he's he's getting too much mired in the squabbles, That's another story, but he's not like that, No, and he found the funding, and uh, look, I'd like to know, as Avi says, you want to know, are these unidentified flying objects alien nature? Are they Chinese in nature? Either way, it's important to know. Are they weather in nature? It's important to know, because our pilots are being affected by it.
2: And I made this point to him, and unfortunately, YouTube has a very, very good algorithm uh, so I had my super producer Stuart Volkow, uh, find some images of the Hubble Deep Field. Have you ever seen this Hubble Deep Field, James? It's like all these galaxies and no stars. Yeah. I call yeah, it the cosmic. It's the cosmic wallpaper. It's literally the cosmic wallpaper. It's the farthest you can see yeah. with like actual formation of gal- galactic structure. Beyond that is the cosmic background radiation that I study. And that's literally 13 billion years, you know, afterwards in some cases. So anyway, so I had uh, this discussion with Avi, and um, and I said, Avi, The Hubble Deep Field, that's not data. So all these people are clamoring for data. And I say, that is an image. That's a beautiful picture. It's inspiring. Maybe you could say, you could torture it and say, well, if I count up each one of the galaxies and I multiply by how much size that uh, occupies on the sky, then I multiply by how many patches it would take to occupy the whole sky, I can estimate roughly the number of galaxies in the universe. And that's actually what we do. Um, how many? How we know there's 500 billion plus or minus 400 billion <laughs> galaxies in the observable universe. So I said that to Avi, and he agreed with me, and he said, "Oh, that's a great point." And then, unfortunately, Stuart, my super producer, used a video from YouTube that has some copyright associated with. It. So I got a strike, and they made me take it out of YouTube. And so it's it just kind of cuts from from me at saying, like, "Look at the Hubble Deep Field," and then it's like, and now onto other new, you know. But but the point being, James, is that. It's not just taking, it's it's a strong, who would you call? you know, would you, you, we talked about this a month ago when I was on uh, your show, you know, is a pilot an expert, you know, uh, is he an expert or she an expert? Yeah, and and I've talked to some of them. They're they're experts in certain things. Um, But but astronomers are also experts. We're experts at looking up and surveying the night sky with a cadence and providing tons and tons of actual data, data meaning not just pretty pictures, spectra, calibration, flat field, dark field, all the information that goes into an astronomer's uh, observation of a galaxy, we should apply that same toolkit to looking for this very important subject. The problem is it gets associated with you know prosthetic forehead creatures and it becomes a laughing stock. But um, And I think there is something to say about, you know, Avi promoting a lot of what he does. You know, even my friends that like him are like, wow, he's really still selling his book. And I'm like, no, he's got a new book. It's 850 pages, and it's about astrobiology. So I give him a lot of credit, and he's surely energetic. But look, James, this is a privately funded, you know, search for something that is one-fifth or one-twentieth of the budget spent by the government, which we don't even think is sufficient because they can't identify, you know— a Chinese ICBM, I don't know, a drone or something. Who knows what the hell? Anyway, it's something's, something is interesting. I'm not saying it's probative, but I made the point. Who would be most interested of all? James Altucher, owner of Stand Up uh, New York and the proprietor of the James Altucher show, or an astrophysicist who has a stake in understanding the ultimate laws of nature? You have a stake. I have that same stake, plus and and. you know, There's the good reason, as you always say, and the real reason. And with that, James, I have got to go and on a telecon, which is where I'd ra- not not rather be.
1: I'd rather be on a telescope. No, no, and I appreciate it. I I, I think just to, to summarize, if you catch yourself thinking the words, just oh, I just did it because of this, or I'm gonna try this, we'll see what happens, or I hope this happens. These are lazy words. Notice them in yourselves. I notice them in myself, I notice them in the selves of students or listeners or whatever. And it's examples of lazy thinking, and I know you have a hard stop, uh, Brian, so I appreciate it. This is an important topic, and I hope people listen and take it into account in their own thinking.
2: And uh, James, I, I hope you feel better. Just try to take care of yourself, my brother.
1: No, you know what? There is no try. you know, and here's the thing. I will say this about Yoda, is that doing something is better than trying something. Doing is the best marketing. If you start a business and sell it, that is good marketing for your next business. If you do a successful experiment as opposed to try a successful experiment, I don't know if you tried hard enough, but if you did it, I'm willing to trust you on your next experiment. Doing is the best marketing.
2: It's like uh, Sideshow Bob says in uh, The Simpsons. He says, uh, what is this with attempted murder? Do they give you a Nobel Prize in attempted chemistry? See you guys. Well, <laughs> I love it. No, wait, wait, oh, yeah. Brian, yeah, yeah. I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna hold you one more minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you brought up, you brought up the etymology of the word just. Yes. Just, of course, means fair, but also originally just meant exact. Yes. Like this fit this this block fit just in the structure. But then etymology became lazy, and the word just means almost fits now yes it just fits which is the opposite so ju- right so so just itself has become a lazy word about itself so always a, this is a dangerous word the word just so be Brian, careful you will win the nobel prize if you do not use the word just that is my final advice for you goodbye <laughs> bye guys